I've got very little hands and it always worries me that I actually probably couldn't feel the prostate properly although the consultant urologist yeah. I spoke to did say that he felt that actually the prostate wasn't high just enough just hand wise with me Sarah I think we're probably very 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 similar Hi this is GP's Talk Cancer brought to you by Gateway C I'm Dr Rebecca Leon and joining me through this podcast is Dr Sarah Taylor we are both practicing GPs and GP leads for Gateway C we're both passionate about diagnosing cancer early And in this podcast, we want to share our clinical experiences with you so you can make better, faster and more confident cancer diagnosis in primary care. So there's some official stuff to make you aware of. We know this podcast might be of interest to anybody, but it is really aimed at primary care health professionals. And although all patient cases are based on real stories from our clinical practices, GPs, they are fully anonymised with no identifiable patient data. Gateway C is funded by the NHS and is part of the Christie NHS Foundation Trust. So, official bit done and dusted. The kettle's on. It's now time to sit back and join us for today's podcast. And we'll be talking about prostate cancer. Want to make sure everybody is well hydrated and they've got their coffees and teas. Sarah? Yep, coffee here. And also with us today is Ellen McPherson. She's a doctor working with us at Gateway C and she is joining us remotely from Scotland. How are you today, Ellen? I hope less drier. <laughs> Talking about the I'm drink or the weather. To say that I'm water today. And the weather, Ellen? Very sunny, beautiful. Great, great. Okay, it's a bit, bit cloudy here. It's okay, though. It's dry. We're in Manchester and it's dry. That's about as much as we can hope for. Okay. And how are you today? I'm good, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What's the weekend plans? I haven't quite thought that far ahead. We've got a couple of busier weekends coming up because we've got my daughter's 21st in a couple of weeks' time with... You're not old enough to have a daughter of 21. I've got a son of 25, so there you go. Um, But yeah, is looking good. Yeah. Okay, so you've got 21 plans. That's good. Well, yeah, but uh, yeah, scary. I'll be doing my usual thing of standing on sides of football pitches and tennis courts this weekend. So mm, um, I've, I've done my time <laughs> on the side of netball courts and running tracks. Time. Yeah, Good. OK, so let's talk about some stats regarding prostate cancer. In males in the UK, prostate cancer is the most common cancer with over 50,000 cases diagnosed each year. But looking at the projections for the next 20 years, they kind of say between 2038 and 2040, the suggestions that the number of cases will be around 85,000. So prostate cancer is on the rise. And I think probably a lot of this is because men are living longer. So Sarah, let's uh, talk about a couple of cases that we've seen in practice and um, this is one that Sarah and I, it comes as, as a, a bit more of a challenge for us, just because I certainly don't see as many potential prostate cancers in primary care as some of my male colleagues. And I think that's almost just the way it is at the moment. But I think it's important, and I say this again to my female primary care colleagues, that they mustn't get de-skilled. And so I think it is important that we still see our male patients with their male problems. And actually, these two cases we're going to talk today 
we've seen ourselves. And um, do you want to? Yeah. So start I think yeah, we we're just starting off by um, a patient who we who I spoke to a few weeks ago who was in his mid fifties with some fairly vague. It was a telephone consultation. Um, fairly vague urinary symptoms. Actually initial telephone consultation arranged in MSU. MSU came back as negative and then spoke to him subsequently because his symptoms hadn't settled. Um, Now actually we've got quite good coding on our notes and it was fairly easily apparent that he was um, a black patient and therefore at an increased risk. So when he came back with the, the symptoms not settled in a normal MSU, it felt appropriate at that stage to talk to him about maybe doing a PSA, um, which we did, which came back as raised and then referred him on. I think, you know, it, it's one of those, again, it's it, it's really difficult because we need to make sure that we've got, you know, that we do an MSU in these patients. And actually he was 55, so it's probably an initial reasonable thing to do. Did actually bring him in and examine him as well. Um, and... His prostate did feel normal, um, but it's always one of the, although I've been reassured by the consultant, it's one of the things that always worries me. I've got very little hands and it always worries me that I actually probably couldn't feel the prostate properly. Although the consultant urologist I spoke to did say that he felt that actually the prostate wasn't high enough. Just hand wise with me, Sarah, I think we've probably very, very, very similar, very similar. And that's always been a thing, whether can I actually feel the prostate? Yeah. And we've been told we can. We can, yeah. So we shouldn't let that put us (laughs) off doing the prostate examinations. But I think the learning points, and and we work in very different practices, very different patient cohorts, which we don't, you know, we, we, we see a range of patients, but really the coding is very good in your practice. And it is good in mine, just in case any of my coders are listening to it. Um, but, the, but, it but something about looking at ethnicity and looking about other things, because from a telephone consultation, we might know who's actually on the other end of the telephone. And so because your coding is good, that's something for us to look into that actually, rightly so, after the initial um, investigations like the MSU, you brought them in. Examine, examine, examine. Absolutely. As we keep saying. Yeah. And then and then did the PSA. Um, you mentioned, can you just talk to us a little bit about the risks of ethnicity with prostate cancer? Well, there's a lot of research now showing that black men have a much higher rate of prostate cancer. So one in four black men will get prostate cancer in their lifetime. Um, they tend to present a little bit younger and they often have more aggressive disease so it's really important that in our black men we think about prostate cancer at a younger age. It's also significant that men with a a positive family history are at a much more increased risk of breast cancer, uh, prostate cancer. And that's, again, we keep talking about family history, family history, family history, as well as examine. You know, these are going to be the things for everybody, aren't they? Um, that actually we should be thinking about it in men with a family history as well at a younger age. OK, and also, if anybody listened to our previous breast cancer podcast also ask about other family members of different cancers as well yes because of potential genetic links with prostate breast ovarian and others as well so i think again family history is really important and that will definitely be on both of our pdps next year um 
can you tell us a little bit about an initiative that's actually going on in Greater Manchester and it may be rolled out to other parts of the UK further down the line, um, looking and targeting for potential prostate cancers? So Greater Manchester piloting an NHS England project, which is to try and increase the diagnosis of prostate cancer in men at risk. So there have been searches, so there's a wonderful yellow, bright yellow van with blue writing on going round Greater Manchester called This Van Can. And in the practices, in the areas it's going round, the practices have had searches, have done searches to find their patients who are at risk and invited them to the van to have a discussion about whether or not they would like to have a PSA test done. And I think this is something that we need to get into. I mean, I think that, you know, there are the issue of PSA testing is a huge one in primary care. Um, It's not an easy one. It's something that I struggle with a little bit. I don't know what you feel about it, Rebecca. Yeah, so PSA counselling, which is, again, I remember doing my GP exams and one of the things was almost talking to a patient about whether they should have a PSA check. And we get a lot of people, particularly over the age of 50, it's around the golf course that they say, get get your prostate, ask your GP for a PSA check. And they come in and they're not sure what it is. Um, and the word prostrate as well. Yes, it's always a prostrate, yes. <laughs> anyway, um, so the PSA counselling is about why they should have it because it's not a straightforward test. It's, I suppose it's the best we have in primary care. Um, it's a blood test um, and it's quite easily done. And I suppose, Ellen, are you still talk to about who can and can't have the PSA test and what they can and can't do before and is that still being talked about at medical school about a list of things that we have to tell our patients before they have their PSA test? Myth busting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, What kind of of things? (laughs) Yeah (laughs) the the big one is a a urine infection obviously to rule that out and then to wait I think it's four to six weeks before retesting. Um, recent catheterization, so that's often a problem in hospital. Um, uh, recent rectal exam as well. Yeah, absolutely. We were always told, weren't we, we couldn't do the blood test and a DRE at the same time. But on our myth-busting theme, I love a bit of myth-busting, yeah. when we yeah. did the recent forum, I think we were told yeah. differently. Yeah, um, I think the other one that came up on the myth-busting forum was recent ejaculation. So actually... Cancer Research UK has um, wait 48 hours after ejaculation to test PSA, but I think the specialist said that that's that's not true. You can just do it. It's fine. And the big Um, one also is cycling. So you know how it's like a new trend now for middle-aged men to cycle and they decide that it's fine to wear lycra. (laughs) (laughs) Always known as mammals. I think I taught you that word, didn't I, Ellen, off... off, um, off air middle-aged yeah. men in lycra yes and then actually they can still have the PSA test so they can come in their lycra to the GP examination no 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 we never said that <laughs> no absolutely not lycra is banned but for not that reason so these are just myth busters so so just to clarify yeah. we're saying that you can't have a PSA if you've got a UTI. Yeah. You can't have a PSA if you've had recent catheterization or yeah. instrumentation, but you can if you've had a DRE. Rectal uh, examination. Yeah, a rectal examination. If you've had recent ejaculation or if you've been on a recent bike ride. Wearing tight trousers, <laughs> tight pants. I think that was the other thing as well. Anyway, those are slight myth busters that yeah. um, I think it's just important to know. But the other thing about the PSA counselling is, is uh, say, easy test done, 
test comes back and we're given certain ranges, which again will be, um, we can put it in the show notes, but, but I'm sure a lot of people will know that the range changes depending on age. But it was actually, I never like to do a test without discussing with the patient what we're going to do with the results. Totally. So yeah. you could have a, P- a raised PSA, but is the patient aware that we're going to then refer them into secondary care and that they're going to potentially have an intrusive test, have a truncal biopsy and what that actually means? And sometimes when I actually say a large needle will be inserted into your prostate gland, they run a mile and say, forget it. But actually, I'm being, I'm being serious now, but I think it's really important to actually know what the next stage is. Yeah. But and things that are has changing, changed, hasn't they? it? Yeah. yeah. So the new pathway for prostate, uh, for investigating raised prostate, looks at using MRI as the first investigation. Um, patients may then go on and have a biopsy, but MRI is a much better test for diagnosing prostate cancer and making some assessment as to the nature of it because one of the other issues is that I don't know whether Ellen has found this YouTube video that you were talking about Rebecca um, but about the different types of prostate cancer and Rebecca's been talking about hares and rabbits and birds and things in relation to prostate cancer which is an interesting thought. Are you able to clarify what I asked you? I'm so sorry. I was not able to find it. Okay, so what I'll do is I'm going to attach this and find it personally onto the end of this podcast so people can find it. It's a two-minute video of talking about the more slower prostate cancers and that they almost don't metastasize and sloths. Yeah, but it wasn't a sloth. I feel like it was another slow animal. And then... A turtle, yes. So a turtle, a bird and a hare. Okay. And you've got to see it to believe it. So I'm not even so going what's to talk the, about no, it but Just give us the gist of the, it. The gist of it is actually there are three... So the, the turtle is very slow growing, hardly moves, sits there, doesn't cause problems. A statistic that we're going to walk away with, another Sarah quote, that you'll, you'll learn these as you go along the podcast, is... 80% of 80-year-olds at post-mortem, at autopsy, will have a diagnosis of prostate cancer, but that isn't the reason that they have died. So it shows that with age, a vast majority of older men will have prostate cancer, but they will be asymptomatic or there'll be other symptoms. And we're going, we're going a bit backwards and forwards here, but I think the PSA test can be raised for non-malignant reasons can't it which is part of the aging process and we say that actually 75% or three out of four men with a raised PSA will actually not have cancer and actually the PSA test can actually miss 15% of cancers so it's not a great test no it's not is it and, I th- and so if, you, if you're saying that you've got a high False positive rate. Yeah. Um, so you're going to have lots of raised PSA that isn't cancer. And then they're going to be referred but, in. Yeah. And then of those, you have a lot who might have a very, almost an, an incidental finding that actually isn't going to cause them any problems. My turtles. Yeah. You've then, you've got some that you're going to miss. Yeah. Because, but you're trying to identify those patients who need more intensive investigation 
from our point of view is really really difficult isn't it from primary care it's really difficult to work out who out of the because we can't tell out of those 20 patients that we might see and refer in over the course of a few years how many of them have got uh, a more uh, are not turtles because the turtles we don't need to worry the about turtles we don't have to worry about so the turtles are the ones that almost it's just there and it's not going to become bothersome. I think the other thing that's making me feel slightly better, because MRI is now available, when we used to send these turtles in to primary care and they might have a diagnosis of something like BPH, which again is a common, that's benign prostatic hypertrophy, not hyperplasia, sorry, BPH, benign prostatic hypertrophy, which is a normal part of the ageing process when the prostate gland enlarges and can cause certain symptoms. I felt that they were going for almost unnecessary intrusive tests, which could then have problems of their own. The MRI is non-intrusive. So there is a slight, with the improvement of the secondary care tests, I am feeling a little bit better about PSAs. And I suppose, you know, if we're pragmatic in primary care, if we, I think if somebody comes in and asks for a PSA um, and a prostate test, then we have those discussions with them. And if they want the test, I think on the whole, I would probably go ahead and do it. I would explain to try and explain to them what's going on. And then if it's raised, follow guidelines and refer them in and let somebody else have those discussions about what investigations should happen next and what they should go on to because things do change and I think they're you know that the MRI is really important as a much less invasive next investigation and more more accurate Um, so I think that you know our role is to have those conversations say yeah the test isn't perfect it might indicate something that isn't concerning but then we do that with a lot of other cancers don't we and to refer them and to refer them in and let somebody else have a discussion about what happens next. Absolutely, it's just being honest with the patient. Yeah. Yes, Ellen. Just kind of on that point, for your patient that you described who came in and you did the test, if it hadn't been raised, how would that have changed your management there? Would you have not referred or or would you have still made the referral anyway? You know, I think or? if I, if I'm being totally honest, if he had a low normal PSA and normal feeling prostate which I'm assured that I can feel I would probably not have referred at that point but I might have done or I might not have referred on a two-week wait but I might have referred if he'd got persistent symptoms I think that it again it's this it's it's the constant thing of sort of safety netting and actually um yeah if if symptoms don't settle referring then I don't know what what do you think Rebecca I'm I'm trying to think probably the same again the safety netting is so important maybe making um, a telephone in a month's time and booking the appointment to phone and I think if it's still persevering with his risk factors with his potential family history I think I would uh, refer in because it would be something that's not right Um, the other thing about is I suppose if he had a positive MSU had been treated and still had symptoms, again, that's something again to... But again, don't be over-reassuring in some ways. So actually say, please do come back. Yeah. Because I don't want them to think, well, the doctor doesn't think it is anything, so I'm not going to bother them again. I think that's really important. So if we go back to, you know, know how I love my quotes with um, my... So you're three strikes and you're in. If If he comes back two or three... If he comes back three times with the same symptom and you haven't got a good explanation for it 
then you probably do need to be referring at that stage, don't you? Absolutely. I mean, this, you talk about if you've got lungs, you can get lung cancer. Is that the same with a prostate? Well, it must be, mustn't it? <laughs> yeah, that'll be the new one. Um, I, I'm going to also put you on the spot here, Ellen and Sarah, just about when we feel the prostate, what is a normal feeling prostate versus an abnormal feeling prostate? <laughs> Go on, Ellen. You've done training uh, sooner than, <laughs> earlier than us, not earlier, more, more recent. recent. Normal is nose. That's my, the one that I was taught. Okay, good. That's a nice or one. There's, uh, there's a thin or eminence. People have used that as well. Oh, you mean how it feels? Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay, I didn't know that. No, me. And I know it's the size of a walnut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the word craggy. Craggy's not good. Craggy's not good. You want it smooth <laughs> yeah. and about the central sulcus. Yeah. There we go. So it feels like the thinner eminence. I like that. Or a nose, she said. Or a nose. Yeah, I know, but noses can it be hard. It's kind of consistency of bounciness. And if it's harder than that, like your forehead, uh, that's concerning. If it's a regular, craggy, yeah, or you've lost that sulcus in the middle, then those are concerning features. Dang, and you should know more than us. Yeah. So can we talk about the second case? Well, it's kind of my case, isn't yeah. it? You have the old patients at your practice. I've got all the students. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, my patient cohort is um, of the elegant ageing. Um, so this was um, a patient of mine. I think he was kind of about 83, 84. Um, and we'll call him Jimmy for this. Um, and comes to see me twice a year and was just getting um, hip pain that was different from... He'd had his knee replaced a few years earlier, and he just almost described it as a as an ongoing dull ache. It. He went to see the physio. He he was quite a proactive patient, so had done all the things. Had had taken analgesia, um, was doing stretching from the physio, but it was ongoing. I with an elderly person. No real other symptoms, no weight loss. Um, had the usual getting up in the night, but had been going on for a few years. And the issues were just this ongoing hip pain. So I organised a full set of bloods. I organised um, a PSA because I know the two things can be in, intertwined um, and all, also organised an X-ray. And his PSA actually came back raised um, and also there was evidence of hip mets, so bony mets, um, likely coming from the prostate cancer. We've, we have also seen um, pathological fractures as well, which is, can be related to um, primary prostate. Is these cases that you've seen before? Yeah, I've seen a few people like this. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and actually, again, it's one of these things that the treatments are actually pretty they are quite good and patients do get quite a lot of relief from their symptoms by being treated so I think it's something that is definitely worth looking for I think so actually very different from the first case that you that you discussed very almost urinary symptoms and had the family history and the ethnicity that starts getting uh, thinking actually could this be something but a younger man in his 50s mine is an older patient who had pain in his hip that we see a lot of because it, it can be um, wear and tear at OA, it can be lots of different things. 
But I was concerned because I did know him quite well and I could see that he was struggling and it wasn't his first presentation. Even it wasn't, even though it was his first presentation to me, he had been to the pharmacist, he had been to um, the physio and was, and was still struggling. So actually, think about these things. And um, I think that it's the other thing is to think about it in new onset back pains because it is one of the presenting symptoms of um, metastatic spinal cord compression and so I think you know in new back pains as well I think we just need to be yeah vigilant absolutely and make sure we ask all about the red flags um I've been told it's a tortoise not a turtle by the way because the tortoise Tortoise. and and the hare it's an Aesop fable I think it is actually a turtle oh I, I have found some articles um on the topic and it is a turtle a yes. rabbit and a bird okay not a hare what is it oh yeah. a turtle a rabbit and a bird. bird i was right about the bird oh yeah so we've got turtles are patients with very slow growing tumors that aren't going anywhere they're yeah. so slow that in order for them to cause you any harm you'd have to live for longer than is the human life expectancy okay Birds are the opposite end of the spectrum. Diagnosis comes too late. They are flapped about. They've spread the coop and they've gone all over the. So this is my second case. And rabbits sit in the middle. So um, a man with a rabbit cancer may still have curable cancer. Uh, so it's fast growing, but it's not gone anywhere yet. So it kind of hops around, but it might not actually spread like the bird. That's so we analogy. so we can yeah so we can actually use it for any cancers but this particular one I think it works really well for prostate cancer. There's a bigger number of yeah turtles because, because there. there are a lot more turtles. So I'm glad we cleared I'm that glad, up. I'm, I'm, yes. Yeah. So I think we're up to the key clinical points now. Yeah. You know the podcast we want to we're having honest chats about things that we see in, in primary care and I think we both struggle a bit with the PSA just because it's not the ideal test but it does have its role and I think being honest with patients about the pitfalls of the test can be really helpful and I yeah and I think your point that you you should never have a test for reassurance because a test might not reassure you so you should so, so people shouldn't come in and have a test because they want to be reassured about it because the results may not be reassuring and therefore discussing the possible outcomes absolutely so some of our key key clinical points we've talked about ethnicity which i think is very important and it is a risk factor for prostate cancer and i'm certainly going to take away that it's important that we look at this in our own practices making sure that um, they are are up to date particularly with new patients Um, so you've got your ethnicity recorded so you can identify the black men who might be at a, who are at a higher risk and I think the other thing that we know we talk about all every podcast is the importance of family history and recording family history because a family history of prostate cancer and breast or ovarian cancer and colorectal cancer because of the association with the BRCA gene should also be asked about and would just be something else that would increase your suspicion and make you want to refer and finally a raised PSA may suggest there is a problem with the prostate but it doesn't necessarily mean cancer. There are other possible diagnoses, but it should be in your thinking about referring on and particularly having a discussion with the patient first. And I think there's just one more from your patient, your elderly patient, that persistent bone pain in older men could be related to metastases from an unknown prostate cancer. Absolutely. So thank you for listening today. It's been a more challenging podcast today, but I've actually 
thoroughly enjoyed it and feel that I have some definite learning points that I'll be taking back to practice with me. If you want to learn more about prostate cancer, we've got a free prostate cancer module that you can find on the Gateway C website. We've put all the references and studies and guidelines that we mentioned in our show notes, including the turtle and the hare. We've got a few... Rabbit. (laughs) The turtle and the rabbit. We've got a few thank yous as well. Thank you, as ever, to Sarah and for Ellen for joining us today and to our producers Louise Harbord from Gateway C and Joe Newsome from Rethink Audio. Before we go, I wanted to just clear up and discuss the positive predictive value, which is something that we touch on in a few of the episodes. The positive predictive value was used to determine the threshold to encourage clinicians to refer on for a suspected cancer pathway or for urgent tests. And this was agreed at 3%. For more information, we have attached the link via the show notes, and this is through the NICE guidelines. And I would encourage all listeners to have a look at this and understand this in more detail. Please do press the follow button so you can get the podcast direct to your feed. And we'd love it if you share this podcast with your friends or colleagues. It really helps spread the word. Thanks and see you all again soon. Listener.